I want you to know that we're thinking about it and, and pushing to get, but we also want to be careful. Because ultimately, one of the pastors, I, I don't know this man, I'd like to sit down with this guy. He's not a Mennonite pastor. He said, he kept, we, we were all kind of pushing, well, let's just get back to normal. He said, you need to stop that. You need to stop thinking about getting back to normal. Because this is the path that God has chosen for us. And so there's nothing normal about the path of God. And so quit trying to get back to normal. Instead, follow the God path that God has chosen. And maybe God wants us to rethink what we're doing. Oh, okay. Thank you. Uh, everyone was really quiet for a while. An older man. Uh, well, I've, I've, I want to sit down and talk more to him just because of some of his interactions. So, and, uh, and then, uh, so we'll, 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 at least through the middle of June, we'll keep the services like this, 10 o'clock, uh, about uh, this. We'll practice our social distancing. We'll see where the community's at. We'll reevaluate, and then we, we g- gently move into the, uh, a different phase, and we can talk about that then. Now, uh, I want to apologize to the children. Last Sunday, I had somebody marked to talk to, to have children's class this week, and I forgot. This morning, with some horror, I realized I had forgotten. I apologize, children. But this gives us uh, some impetus to think about next Sunday. Who would like to do a children's lesson next Sunday? The seventh. Oh, quick. (laughs) I'm looking right over Naomi's head. And Mike looks the other way. No, (laughs) <laughs> Are you here next Sunday, Mike? Melissa? That's kind of putting you on the spot, but are you open to it? Okay, good. Uh, the 14th. 14th? You can look forward to it then. Boy, you are a really... Don't raise your hand higher than your ear. I think you might... Don't scratch your head now. I'm going to think you're volunteering. Anyone? The 14th? You have two weeks to practice. You can redo it even if you've done it once. You're only in charge. You can pick somebody else to do it. (laughs) That was good, Sean. (laughs) I understand, yeah. uh, But you trained him well. Sean's son raised his hand for them, but anyway. Uh, somebody? All right, I'll see you after church. Please turn your Bibles to the book of Joel. Uh, how many of you have ever heard a sermon from Joel? Some of you might have. Uh, let me tell you, first of all, I do have something for the children. Uh, maybe a little older children. And some aren't here. How, how many children here have read Laura Ingalls Wilder books? Okay, good. Or, or adults. How many of you have, how many people have read Laura Ingalls Wilder books? I'll tell you, we'll confess now, Narita and I, about once a year she and I end up reading them again. Or at least portions of them. Remember Roseanne? Yeah, you know what this is like? Uh, by the time I was 10 years old, I'd read Farmer Boy 10 times. And, uh, but... In, on the banks of Plum Creek, which sounds so idyllic, doesn't it? On the, they lived in a dugout, and 
oh, this is, this is beautiful life, except the cow stumped through the roof of the dugout, um, and many other things. But does anyone remember what happens at about page 200 in that book? One day they're working outside, their wheat crop looks really good, the things are looking forward, things are going forward. Does anyone remember what happens? Yeah, yeah. Do you remember? Do you remember what happens next? Yeah, good. Some sort of bugs. Grasshoppers, locusts. In fact, they're called Rocky Mountain locusts. They're a little bigger than grasshoppers. They're extinct. Uh, the only one, I, I'm reading a book about the locusts. Uh, I was reading in the book of Joel about locusts, so I decided to read about locusts. I have this uh, uh, book by an entomologist, that's a man who studies insects, who went on a search to find these Rocky Mountain locusts. They were so prevalent in the late 1800s that, that people destroyed them. Uh, There's actually bounties of them. You'd collect bushels of them, and uh, you'd turn them in for money. But they went extinct in the late 1800s. They went extinct. And they went up to a glacier in Montana and found these bugs frozen in the glacier. And it was such a rare find, they collected them and were able to discover uh, that they're akin to the desert locust that is still in uh, Africa and places like that today. And it's akin to our grasshopper, only larger, and they swarm. And uh, remember in Laura Ingalls Wilder, they're getting the wheat crop, they see a cloud in the distance. And then they hear a sound, and then it, it comes. Does anyone remember what happens next? What happened? The grasshopper, the locust came and ate everything. They stripped the trees down. In, in some cases, they would eat the wool off of sheep. They would, uh, uh, they would um, if a, a shovel or a hoe handle was outside, they would eat the wood where uh, sweat and human residue had been on. They would eat the wood. They would get so shiny it looked like they had sanded the wood. Um, they would eat, in, in extreme cases, they ate the clothes off of people who were outside. It's a horrible thing. The largest recorded swarm of locusts in the, in the far west, they, they, would nest, uh, they would lay their eggs in the valleys of, in the Rocky Mountain valleys where there was a lot of green grass, they'd lay their eggs, and they would come out of there. The largest recorded swarm of these was 115 miles deep and 1,800 miles wide in a swath coming across the prairie, eating everything in its presence in 1875. It is an amazing story. And for an agricultural community, that, what, happened to, what happened to their crops, their cows? The, the cows didn't have food to eat. Remember, the cows didn't have food to eat. The horses, Spot and David and Sam. Sam and David were their horses. Spot was the cow. They, they didn't have food to eat. They didn't have grass to eat. They grew skinny. The, the, the water dried up, and it got so hot that Laura said she wanted to be an Indian and not wear any clothes. And her ma said, Laura, and she said it on Sunday, and on a Sabbath. Okay, our times have changed. Um, but it, it's a different world than we live in, and we, don't, we aren't so touched by that. Are you aware today, I just saw in the news last week that there's a plague of locusts in portions of Africa right now. And... Uh, and they still do that in an agricultural community that represents ruin when you get that. It, it, they eat everything. They devastate everything. And that is the setting of the book of Joel. In the book of Joel, and I want to back up now and, and ask, 
What is your impression of the prophets? When you think about reading the prophets, any of them, what do you think about? Weird wackos, okay? Sorry, they just are. Some of these guys are really different. You know, walk around prophesying without any clothes on, probably inappropriate, but we can talk about some of that. What is God's aim with the prophets? That's what we need to ask. We need to back up from, the, from our views of, just like Andy said that we need to back, and by the way, I appreciate that, we need to back up from our views of race. We need to back away from what we hear the media telling us about race, what we hear politicians telling us about race, and we need to ask, how does God view it? And if it is true that people of other races are built and created in the image of God, and we mistreat them, how are we any different than pagans? And in the same way, I want us to step back from these stories that we, or the way we've kind of approached the Bible and say, what is God trying to do? Okay, so God creates the world and creates it good and beautiful. And he loves what he's created. This thing is beautiful. This world he's created is wonderful. And then something happens. Man sins. And the world breaks apart. And the rest of the story is about God winning those people back. This is not about God being capricious or God bringing judgment down. This is about God getting his people back for them to love him. God wants... Why did God create man in the first place? Why did God create Adam and Eve? For relationship, right? With him. And if that is true then when man walks away from that relationship, the rest of what the good God is trying to do, what God is trying to do, is win people back into relationship with him. The book of Joel, uh, the, and the prophets are unique. And we need to, I, I find the prophets to be very modern day. They talk about justice. They talk about uh, how to relate in a world that's going badly wrong. This morning when I got up and uh, after studying a while, I checked the news and I thought, our world is going badly wrong. It's easy for us to assume that, and it is. I mean, we have, we have had in the last six months, but in my lifetime, there has been so many things where our world has gone completely, you can just feel the haywireness. I don't know a better way. Is that things are coming apart. And evil and hatred are, are becoming stronger and stronger. Division is becoming stronger. And in that time, God's people need to be saying, what is it that we can do to bring us together? How can we spread unity instead of division? Love instead of hate? And that's what, exactly what God is trying to do with the prophets. He's giving them a message and, he, and he's telling the people now, when these things happen, that's not some kind of outside thing. That's me trying to get your attention and your heart. And the prophets are, are unique in that they speak for God to the people. Uh, Joel, his name means Jehovah is God. 
And he, is, he comes at a time when Israel is very prosperous. Things have been going very well, and now that there's been some calamity. Things are falling down. Their crops, they're at the middle of the harvest season. Their crops are looking really good. And suddenly locusts come, and they devour everything. The first portion of the book is about these locusts coming and devouring their world. And think about it. These are people who, who are, their, their livelihood, their world, just like Laura Ingalls. Paul, you know what happened after the locusts came in, on the banks of Plum Creek? I, I read parts of On the Banks of Plum Creek um, uh, earlier this week and even this morning uh, doing sermon research. Um, uh, but do you remember what, what happened? They couldn't make a living on the farm. Paul, could, Paul couldn't buy boots. Paul's boots were so worn out, he couldn't buy boots. And so he walked 300 miles to a place where the locusts hadn't gone and helped harvest. And he worked from daylight to, du- to dark for a dollar a day, or a dollar a week, or a dollar a day, whatever it was. And he sent them $3, and they thought the gold train had come. Okay, so what happens in a, in a community, in a world that is built on agriculture, when that is ruined and destroyed? Chris's know this better than anyone here. If something were to happen to that, their hay, their grain, their trees, everything would be gone. That would kill their cows. It would ruin their puppies. It would ruin their fruit harvests and all that. Anything possible to harvest, the locusts had eaten. And, 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 and Joel comes to the people in a time like this and said, you saw the locusts come. You thought you were so prosperous. You thought you were so good. The locusts came and ruined everything. Now you're laying here, and it, but, but you know what? Here you have a chance. And, and this is not about just the destruction of your, your, your crops or anything like that. This is about God wanting you to be in relationship with him. I want you to notice in uh, chapter 1 of Joel now, and I'm going to read just a little bit here. Chapter 1 of Joel, um, it, he says in verse 13, Put on a sackcloth and lament, O priests. Wail, O ministers of the altar. Go, on, go in, pass the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God, because grain offerings and drink offerings are withheld from the house of your God. It wasn't that the people were withholding. There was no grain or drink there anymore. So there's nothing there. And so he says, I want you to lament. I want you to lament what has happened in your world. And it's because of you that this has happened in your world. And so I I was thinking about this, and I I want us to to look at several things. When calamity comes in our world, when the world feels like it's falling apart, the call for God's people is not to get stronger or to get harder or to push one way or to push the other. The call is to stop and lament. Lament. Stop and weep. When we just try to push our way through stuff, and I'm guilty of this, push our way through or become stronger over here or stronger over here, all we're doing is hardening our hearts. What we need to do is, is stop and weep. Just like he's saying this here to, to the people in Joel's times. And, and the point of us doing that, lamenting, is because we realize how far our world, and I'm, I'm going to say that, and I mean our world, the world that you and I live in, Joel's world, the people that Joel was speaking to, how far their world has gone from God. And how much God wants one thing, and that's relationship with his people. So their world has crumbled. Their world has fallen down. And Joel says, 
here's what you need to do. You need to lament and weep. You need to fast and pray. You need to cry out to God and say, God, I'm so sorry for my part in this. Verse 18 then, Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. The Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I am sending you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied, and I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. That God wants a relationship with us. God wants us to, to, to bring hope. Uh, that's in, in chapter 2, verse 18. Uh, a little earlier in chapter 2, he says, uh, Yet now, in verse 12, declares the Lord, Return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. He's saying, don't let this only be a, a surface thing. Don't let it just be a surface thing where you act like you're, you're changing. Change. And, and as I was thinking about this, uh, my wife and I were having a discussion this morning, uh, and I, I was thinking, uh, God desires a relationship with His people. But for us to have a relationship with God, we need to repent. And what is repentance really like? And we can preach all day about what repentance is, but it has to be very practical. And I was thinking about that, and Narita reminded me, thank you, of, of the passage in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, which we know so well. And, and she, she highlighted a phrase in that that I had not thought about very well in the past. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. There is no law against you being gentle and peaceful. There is no law against you loving. Because what has been happening is, is Paul is writing to a group of people that are consumed with do's and don'ts. We are allowed to do this, but not allowed to do this. We need to go this route and not this route. And he's saying, no, there, there is a whole list, and I'm going to look at this list. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. They are sexual immorality. Oh, you say, well, that, I, I don't do that. Oh, okay. Impurity. Sensuality. Idolatry. What do you worship? What do you worship? Do you worship normal? By the way, this preacher that I was, talking, that I was speaking about earlier said, I think that many people in this community worship their normal way of life. And I thought, well, that, that's a mouthful. I hope he passes his offering bucket after he says that. But anyway, uh, that was my impureness speaking. But, but what is it that we worship? What is it that we worship? Enmity? Uh, this, is, this is the things that God is against. The works of the flesh are evident. They're sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. Now, um, oh, it doesn't stop there. Envy. Huh. Drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Now, uh, we're going to do a poll here. I'm going to give you a piece of paper, and you tell me how many of those you've done. No, don't. Okay? You know, and I know, that that list convicts us. All of us have been at those places and are in those places. 
That's what we're called to repent of. And, and we need to, uh, this is really good as I thought about this. Repentance needs to be thought about, about turning 180 degrees, turning around and going the other way. But when we turn away from something, we always need to turn to something. And maybe we need to think about repentance as turning to gentleness, love, turning to that, embracing that. Remember when Jesus said about the demons inside somebody, he said, did you drive them out? If you don't fill it with something else, seven worse will come in. It is not enough just to stop doing something. We have to start doing something different. So against such there is no law. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And what, what God is calling his people to is, is something beautiful, something wonderful. The, the kingdom of Jesus is not just about not doing something, not behaving like the world. We put way too much emphasis on that. The kingdom of Jesus is about embracing a new way of life, a way of life that says, you know what, when this unrest is happening in our world, when, civil, when, our, when our civilizations are breaking down, when disease and sickness are invading our worlds, where, where, are we and, where are we at bringing peace and gentleness and love and kindness and, and joy into that world? Because ultimately we belong to something that is much greater than this present world. So, so what God is after is He wants us to weep and lament when calamity comes. And then He wants us to repent. And then He will restore us. These are so beautiful words. And, and this is true of about all the prophets. The prophets will go through their, their, um, their hammering of the people and saying, this is why this happened. They're not afraid to say it. This is why this is happening. This is why this is happening. But at the end, nearly always at the end, they have these wonderful words uh, like I just read, the Lord became jealous for his land, had pity on his people. He's, he's saying, Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Fear not, O beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green. The tree bears its fruit, the fig tree and vine give their full yield. Be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He goes on and on and on. And, and so, if we think, let's, think, let's begin to think about God as restoring something in this world. When Jesus came to earth, and this is the gospel message, when Jesus came to earth, and, and, and the Old Testament saints, the people in the Old Testament, the children of Israel, are saved the same way that you are. But their hope is in the coming Messiah and the cross of Jesus. And just they, they look forward to it, according to Hebrews. And we look back to that. And when Jesus came into this world, God sent his son into this world. He came in the person of a baby. He grew and lived here. He died here. And he rose again from the dead. He conquered the ultimate enemy of mankind. And when, when he took that cup in the garden, I've said this so many times. When he took that cup of suffering, he said, Lord, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, but thy will be done. And when Jesus reached out and took that cup of suffering, he made it possible for his people, his followers, his soldiers to share in whatever suffering comes after that. Because he took the ultimate cup of suffering and drank it for you and I. You and I do not have to die broken and, and go into emptiness and blackness and hell. 
You and I are delivered from that. But it's much more than just about when we die. It's also about when we live. You and I are delivered from the power of envy, strife, jealousy, and divisions, and immorality, and all those things. You and I are delivered from that. We're delivered into gentleness, peace, joy, kindness, hope, faithfulness. What would it be like? And I speak to myself. If we could, from... Go out from here, and, and when we hear these things, bring those, bring those pieces to that. The fruits of the Spirit to whatever situation we face or hear about or see this week. When somebody says, well, what do you think about this? Say, well, um, you know, that's an invitation to an argument most of the times. And I've had my share of them over the last few months. There's a lot of division. And maybe what we need to do is set our personal ideas on a table and kind of walk around them and look at them and say, hmm, is that filled with gentleness? Is that filled with peace? And it has to be practical. It has to impact us. If it's just something about the future in heaven, let's just live bad now and quick repent before the end. Right? That's pointless. But that's foolish. So we need to set our own agendas on the table. Walk around them and say, do they reflect the agenda of Christ? And when we do that, we'll react differently. And I speak to myself when I say this. God is the one who restores. So when we see the calamities of our world, God wants us to weep and then examine our own lives and repent. And then in in partnership with Him, bring restoration and goodness to our world. That is the only way our world will change. That's the only way we're going to change the racial issues. Read uh, Tattoos on His Heart. No, what is it? What's the title of the book? Tattoos on the Heart sometime. About a man who took that agenda into an inner city area and gangs. But think about the life of Jesus now. Jesus came and bridged the gap between male and female, Jew, Gentile, Romans and Jews, the whole world, and says, this is not about those things. This is about the kingdom of God. Let's stand together. Thank you that you are the great restorer. And I pray that you would help us to repent, to weep and lament the evil in our world. And when that evil gets close to home and strikes our worlds, I pray that you would help us to be the people who lead in repentance, who turn away from the evil and embrace the good Lord, deliver us from the idea that we've got to figure out uh, what we shouldn't do and, and deliver us and, and move us to the idea about embracing what we should do. Gentleness, love, kindness. And then in partnership with you, we work at restoring hope, strength, and love to our broken world. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.